in today's show. I'm joined by Ben Pfeiffer, and we're going to talk NBA draft prospects, including who? Jabari Smith, Usman Dieng, Blake Wesley. We're talking about them all coming up. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. Check out PrizePix.com. Use the promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. And we are available on all platforms. Draft prospects today. Yesterday, we did a mock draft 2.0. Go check that out. But today, we're talking about six different NBA draft prospects. So I haven't um, haven't hit this one for a while. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's bring him back to the show now. It is uh, Ben Pfeiffer, who's been on the show for numerous times over the years to talk NBA draft prospects. Ben, welcome back. How's it going? I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's it's cool. It's like our like third or fourth year in a row or something. Yeah, I think that's that's about right. We're here to Something's talk. Like that. Uh, yeah, we're here to talk NBA draft prospects. It's that time of year. We're a couple of weeks away from the NBA it is, draft. It is it is in fact the, the the best time of year. It is that time of year. It yeah. is exactly, and we have got a lot of prospects to get through. And what I'm doing with all of these shows, Ben, and you know, you're aware of this because I've told you already before we've gone on air, is we're looking at players who you are higher on or a player that you are lower on than consensus. In fact, both of those things. So we might as well just get start started straight away with that. A guy that you are higher on than consensus is Blake Wesley of Notre Dame. 19-year-old guard, six foot four. Why? Yeah, I am a big fan of Blake Wesley. I think, um, I, like, I feel like every playoff this topic comes around. Like, it's so important to have guys who can really create advantages um, and like score in a lot of different ways and create easy easy offense or you know offense as easy as possible um, and I think Blake Wesley while he's certainly raw uh, like the finishing is is really problematic um, he's not the greatest decision maker in the world the shooting is inconsistent but like he is so quick um, so agile so good at you know setting up screens and creating advantages off the dribble off of a standstill um, and I think those are tools that um, I would be really interested in cultivating and, and developing. Like, I don't think he's a lock to be good or anything. Um, but I do think um, when you're looking at guys with real potential, it's like be guys who can add a lot on the ball um, in an NBA offense, um, which are, you know, pretty rare. Uh, the guys who are like good on ball creators. I think Wesley is one of the better bets in this draft. Um, so, yeah, Wesley is definitely um, kind of my favorite, like mid level. Um, creator bet, and I think like like a lot of mock drafts have him going in like the twenties or something, or maybe even later. Um, yeah, look, me, look at Tankathon's got him at twenty seven on theirs at the moment. Yeah, that's like about the range I've seen for him, and I I definitely think like 
um, especially in like this draft, which I don't find to be super deep. I think he's worth a swing earlier than that, just because the creation is so valuable. So we talk about creation, and that is a huge thing in the NBA. We know that, but part of the problem when you look at his numbers is that he might have created stuff they just didn't go in. You know, forty percent yeah. shooting, thirty percent from three, sixty-six percent from the free throw line, under two and a half assists. Yeah, what's what's the go with that? Because they're, they're all bad numbers. Like that true shooting is under 50%. Um, yeah, he, he attempted a lot of threes. He got to the line at an okay rate. Um, he had a high usage, but, you know, low assist to usage ratio. What what's what changes here in the NBA? Because he's not going to be a 31% usage player pretty oh, clearly yeah, in the league. So I think that's, is, that, is that what yeah. improves the efficiency? I think that's part of, you know, certainly part. I mean, he was asked to like carry an ACC offense as a freshman. Um, which is not an easy thing to do um, for basically anyone. Uh, and, and, you know, like like I've been saying, the, the efficiency is, is obviously an issue, and, like, how he gets those efficient shots is going to be a big thing for his development. Um, he has a lot of areas to improve, but I think that's also, like, on the flip side, it's like if he, you know, you know can improve any of those areas a little bit or a lot, I think that goes a long way for him. Like, if he can improve his, his shooting, which I'm pretty confident as, as a shooter long-term, um, I think once he cleans up some of his form stuff, he's going to be okay because... You know, he does take a lot of them and he has this nice touch. Um, I think the finishing is probably always going to be an issue just because of his, you know, lack of vertical athleticism. But, like, I, I think there are certainly, like, real flashes of passing ability, um, real flashes of of shot making. Um, and I think he's a guy who, you you know, stick in the G League for a year or two. You, you let him, like, run your G League offense and get him all of the development time that you can. Um, and when you do have him come up and play at the NBA level, you know, like ideally, you know, it, it seems like he's gonna, you know, go pretty late, which which means he could go um, to a team that already has a nice, you know, developmental infrastructure or you know other guys who can really create offense, so he can play off of them, um, you know, spot up, attack closeouts, just generally, you know, do easier stuff, which he hasn't really been able to do at Notre Dame just because like he he was asked to do so much for them, um, which tanked his his efficiency. I think you see that a lot in like young creator guys. Yeah, sometimes well, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it ends up like Carson Edwards. Um, yep. <laughs> can can he defend? Um, I think he's going to be able to defend okay um, at the NBA level. I mean, he's six five and pretty long. Um, can definitely move his feet. Um, I think the point of attack defense is going to be pretty solid. Or you know, assuming he hits his ceiling, I think the point of attack defense is going to be pretty solid. Um, again, because he's so like so young and doing so much on offense, there's like a lot of lapses. Um, you know, on the off ball and his you know weak side rotations and things like that. Um, like projecting defense for like a lot of freshmen can can be pretty difficult because like most young freshmen are pretty bad defenders. Um, but I think Wesley has the tools, like his size and his length, um, and some of the flashes of mobility to where I don't see a reason he couldn't be a solid enough defender. Um, you know, if he gets the development, like I don't I don't think he's going to be an amazing defender, but I definitely think. Um, like the, the tools are in place for him to become like a pretty, you know, average to above average defender. Nothing crazy, but good enough. Hold on to your dicks, everybody, because we're going to talk about a player that Ben is lower on the consensus, and you're going to be pretty excited to hear about that one. But before we do that, it's time for me to tell you about prize picks. It is daily fantasy made easy. You might have been looking for the best way to play daily fantasy. Well, I found it for you. It is prize picks, so simple to use. You just pick two to five players. And PricePix gives their over-under props, whether that's on points or threes, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, fantasy points, whatever. They give you the number, and you look at it, and you go, over or under. That's it. Just combine those entries together, and you can win up to 10 times your entry fee. It's fast, it's safe, it's easy to do, and it doesn't just have to be basketball. You can combine multiple sports into one entry. 
NBA, college sports, NFL, Major League uh, Baseball, soccer, NHL, all of that stuff can, can be combined into one entry. And Pricewix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for everybody listening today. It's 50 bucks for free. If a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point, but you must use the code NBA. That's right. It's an exclusive offer available to Locked On fans. Sign up today. Use the code NBA, 50 bucks for free. If a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point prize picks, it's daily fantasy made easy. You are lower than consensus on one Jabari Smith Jr., He is widely tipped to be the number one pick. And if he isn't the number one pick, probably the number two pick. When you say you're lower on him than consensus, are you you out on him at one? Are you out on him as a top four player? Are you out on him as a top seven player? Like, where are you with Jabari Smith? Yeah. I think my, like, lower than consensus is just being out on him as a number one pick. Like, I want to get across like I always do. I think he's a quite good prospect. Um, You know, he has a lot of really valuable strengths. Um, the shot making for his size is obviously wonderful. I think his defense is under discussed. Like that guy is a ridiculous mover. Um, can really flip his hips, move his feet, change directions on the ball, and I think has a frame where he can probably add some weight as well. So I think he could be a really impressive on-ball defender. Um, you know, already so good at like a young age in like a, like a great conference, which you know, as we talked about with Wesley, is not easy to do. Um, but I think my, my hangups with Jabari mostly come on the offensive end where he is like a really great standstill shot maker. Like you give him the ball at 17 feet and, you know, pulling up in transition, he's going to be great. But I think Jabari is definitely lacking in a lot of other important areas. Uh, when you look at offensive stars, uh, like he doesn't really pass the ball. He's not a great finisher in the half court. Um, he's not someone who can really dribble or create his own advantages. Like, you know, like you talked about with Blake Wesley, obviously very different players, but most of Jabari's success is off of tough shot making, which, you know, is a viable way to, to do it. There are, you know, players in the NBA who live who live and die off of tough shots and do it really well. And I think, you know, assuming Jabari hits his, you know, hits and is a good player, that's probably what he's going to do. And that's totally okay. But it's really difficult to be that guy and be like a real star, like a real high-end star. Um, and I think when you're looking at like real high-end stars, Jabari is, either, is a little bit lacking in like, the like he's not a great enough scorer to be like you know a guy who carries like like a great offense by himself and when you have him off the ball it's like how is he contributing is he you know because he's not a guy who can really pass the ball well he's not a guy who's a really good finisher at the rim on cuts and you know drives and stuff obviously he's going to be a great spot up shooter but um, I think if you're you know using Jabari off the ball a lot you're kind of not getting the most out of his really unique talents so I definitely don't think he's bad and I think like as like a top three or four pick he's totally fine um, but like, the, 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 like for me, the number one stuff is, is just not, is, is not super great just cause I think there are better options, but I don't think he's bad at all. I think he's you know, a good prospect overall. Do you think that part of the reason that this talk from Orlando and let's, let's assume that it's true and Orlando's locked him in as number one, let's assume that's true. Is that them maybe overlooking player talent for fit and thinking, Hey, we just need someone who can, you know, be a scorer. Um, we've got these bit part players. We've got these defensive options, but we need someone who can take on volume. And do you think that Jabari, when compared to wings, say like Paul George, say LeBron, say Kawhi, these here six foot seven to six foot nine wing forward players who do who are able to take on the thirty plus usage role, 
is he going to be able to handle that sort of a usage role? Or is he going to be more of a you know, 24, 25 usage player who shoots well, but as you said, has some of those other issues offensively? I would definitely go with the latter. Um, I think he's a guy, if you just, well, like I kind of said, if you give him like the, the really high usage, like he doesn't have, he doesn't have the decision-making quality to, you know, always make the right decisions. And, you know, he doesn't have the advantage creation to generate easy shots. And like, I think, like you have to be such an amazing tough shot maker to really make it work. And you know we've seen a lot of players in the past. Like um, this is obviously like I, I think I think this is gonna be a better player. Like we've seen players like Andrew Wiggins really struggle in like high volume on ball roles as like tough shot makers, and then they slide down into like a more complementary role with with better players, and they're thriving and they can do really really well. So I think you know I, I, that's not a comparison in their play styles, but I think. Like, Jabari is going to be best when he can act as, like, a floor-racing secondary guy, um, someone who can, you know, play next to, you know, someone who can really be a primary decision-maker, like someone like Luca or Trey Young or, or LaMelo or, I guess, LeBron, or someone who can really carry the load of, of deciding what the offense is going to do. Um, and then what, maybe when that guy goes to the bench or when he's tired, I think Jabari can be definitely, like, a secondary or, or third guy who, who really carries the scoring load. So... Like, like in, in kind of like answering the first question, like I don't think, um, like it, the, the the number one stuff is interesting. I don't really know how much of it is like smoke or how much of it is real, because um, you know you, you, there's so much stuff around this time of the draft that you, it's hard to really know. Um, but I, like I, I feel like if the Magic are looking for someone who can be like that primary scorer, I think Paolo is probably a better option for that. I, I think Jabari is just like a stronger like, complementary player, at least you know early in his career and for a while, but. I think Paolo is probably more likely to be that guy. Um, I don't know. Like, like the Magic are in kind of an interesting place. They have, like, a lot of really good pieces. Um, but it feels like they're missing something. So I definitely don't think, like, Jabari is perfect for them. I don't think he'd be bad for them either as well. They're, I mean, that would, you know, make quite quite, quite the defense. It's going to be really um, interesting to see how, how he goes and how, because, like, again, this is not, a the strongest top end class, especially you know compared to where we were last season, and you know having the number one pick here, you know gives you a lot of the times it's it's an easy selection. It was here. It's, I don't think it's quite as easy, especially with the way that the order fell in this draft in terms of your know, players that that certain teams need and all of those sort of things. But we are going to talk about Jabari more in coming shows for sure. As you know, obviously a top end draft pick, I had him at number two in my mock draft yesterday. But if I've got number one for a mock draft for protein bars, you know the answer is always going to be Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And they've got a new one, Caramel Brownie. If you love chewy, caramelly goodness, chocolate brownie goodness, well, Bilt Bar has got exactly the bar that you need. It is available at Bilt.com right now. And you've got to act fast because they always sell out quickly. Forget about dessert. Way better than dessert because you're dealing with something that's high in protein, which we know is good for you, but also low in sugar, low in calories, low in fat as well, and covered in 100% real chocolate. There are a million reasons. That, that's a lot, Bill Bart. A million. That seems all I've got. I'd like to see the uh, the copy of the A Million Reasons that you can uh, try Bill Bars. But anyway, <laughs> there are a lot of them. So head to built.com, Check it out. Maybe think up four or five of your own reasons. We can pull them together. Maybe we can send a list of a million over to Bill Bar. But get your boxes of Bill Bar now. They are absolutely delicious and they are good for you. Bill Bar is, of course, built different. Let's go to Usman Dieng. A 19-year-old 6'9 forward who is from France. 
but played down in the NBL down here, played for the New Zealand Breakers, and let's be honest, Ben, the beginning of his season was uh, was shithouse. It was no good, but started to come on towards the end of the year. Now, he is a guy, when you look at it and you go, all right, I like this, tall, long, 6'9", forward, handle it, bit of playmaking, bit of defense, but it's not quite there yet. But in terms of what you need to be successful in the NBA, like the, the frame, the prototype, I guess, is here, if he puts on strength and if he starts to shoot and if and if and if. And there's just a ton of ifs. So I guess when we're talking, Jeng, is the ifs and the second half of the NBL season or whatever the last few games of the NBL season, is that enough for you to go, all right, lottery? Or is it just like, okay, he struggled so much early on that I, I just don't think that he's going to figure this out. I think the lack of strength and the lack of shooting is going to hamper him forever. Where are you on Jeng? Yeah, I think Jeng is is certainly an interesting prospect. I've, I mean, I've enjoyed basically all of the tall NBL passer guys um, come out of the last couple of years. Um, and I mean, Jeng is probably the worst of them. You know, not really a slight to him. He's got tough competition. But you're definitely right that the the early season stuff was was very rough. Um, but the improvement was also pretty nice to see as well. I think the real like interesting. Thing about Usman is like he is a really ridiculous ball handler for a guy who's like 6'9", 6'10". Like he's so fluid um, and he really gets in and out of moves. Like I've seen like some of like the giddy comparisons for like obvious reasons. Um, but like this is like very opposite of, of, of Josh Giddy, which is like this is like his like big weakness. Um, and I think like the, stri- the opposite too where like I think Usman has issues with his passing where he can, you know, get tunnel vision and and really like lock onto reads and, and miss some kind of easy ones. While he does have like a lot of really impressive skip passes um, and certain like passes on the pick and roll. I think a lot of his reads, like a lot of NBL teams, like NBL teams tend to be pretty well coached, um, which is like part of why the league is cool. And like I think the the Breakers do a really good job like, installing reads in the offense for like Usman to make that aren't that difficult. Like they'll you know run like a weak side action and get him going downhill off of a screen where, you know, the corner is kind of open. So I think the passing isn't my favorite trait of his. Um, I definitely, I'm, I'm not sure about him, like, lottery. Like, I think fringe lottery is okay for him um, because the the handle is really interesting. The shot-making flashes and the touch are really interesting. Like, uh, he definitely looks like he's been more comfortable as a shooter. Um, some of the intermediate scoring um, flashes are really nice. Um, and the defense is really, really good as well. I have been really impressed with with Jang's uh, ability to make plays off the ball, uh, use his length and you know, impressive instincts to make like some weak side rotations, some digging at the nail, um, and even some movement on the ball. Um, so I definitely think they're interesting tools, but I see him as like a quite risky prospect just because of like the lack of athletic tools, and the fact that he you know he did struggle so much and like the scoring isn't isn't polished at all. Um, so I like him relatively. I think I've seen some people have him like top five or something. I've seen some people have him like out of like the top 25. Like I definitely think I fall somewhere in the middle with, with Jang. Like I think there's really, really, um, interesting, you know, upside pathways with him with a handler. Um, and it's just like, like large guys who can really dribble and like do things like run pick and rolls and run dribble handoffs are rare. Like there aren't a lot of those guys in the NBA. Um, and I think Jang, um, could be one of those guys if he hits the pathway. So I think he's pretty good. Um, I think I'd take him. You know, probably my ideal you know thing thing would be to take him in like the the mid late teens. But 
Um, I'm not super sure on him anyway. I had him 15 in my first mock, and then I was way out yesterday when I did it and dropped him down to 26 because I'm just not I'm just not sure. All right, the, the lack of strength, the lack of production, the lack of shooting. Yeah, that, it's all well and good to handle and run a pick and roll, but if you can't shoot at all, then no one cares. Like everyone's just going to go under, and you don't provide any of that real threat. And it did start to come on, but yeah, he never got to the line either. His free throw rate was really, really poor. What was it for? Let me just check. 13% free throw yeah, rate. That's, that's right. really. It's really low. And he yeah, didn't hit him when he got there. 27% from three. He did take a lot of threes, which is encouraging, but yeah, didn't go in. Didn't He averaged, for a guy that's you know, handling the ball and got this passing upside, he averaged one assist per game in 21 minutes. Really low numbers there. I just, uh, the, the size, the frame, the theory all makes sense. It just hasn't happened in execution. So I, maybe 26 is probably pushing it too low because it is hard to find those six, nine wings. But yeah, he might go out there and just never be able to shoot, and it's just impossible yeah. to be able to play. Like, I him. think it's like like a very textbook, like very high ceiling, very low low floor kind of guy. Which I think those prospects are often like rarer than you know maybe they get credit for. But I think Jang certainly fits here. Like he's like like they're really you know he he could be really interesting as like a as like an offensive role guy, but he could also be like totally not an NBA player very soon. Let's talk about another guy who yeah, has some ball handling ability. And we're going to Arizona. We're going to stay in Arizona for a couple of these next guys we talk about. Dalen Terry, 20 years old, six foot seven guard who yeah, put up some really interesting numbers. Played 28 minutes a night. He averaged only eight points, which is obviously very low. Um, but almost four assists, five rebounds. Got some real passing ability, some defensive ability as well. Um Really good wingspan, um, solid shooting numbers, 50% from the field, 36% from three. Didn't attempt a huge amount of threes or get to the line a lot. He's sort of a bit of a weirdo in terms of his size um, and his skill set. But yeah, with a lack of passing players or lack of passes or ball handlers at the top end of this draft, does that bump Terry's stock? Can he be a primary ball handler or a point guard? Let's say a point guard like, you know, primary and point guard are a little bit different because, you know, Tyus Jones is probably a point guard, but he's not really your primary guy that you want running everything and having this high usage. Where does Terry sort of sit there? I definitely see Terry as more of like a secondary, like connective kind of offensive guy. Someone who can you know run a secondary pick and roll, um, you know pass in transition, because I you know I, I think the big issues with him offensively are like how is he scoring? Because um, obviously you know like the, the jumper's not too bad, and I think like off the ball he's probably going to be a fine spot up shooter. But like similar issues to Jang as a scorer, um, we're just really lacking in athletic tools. Uh, the verticality is rough. Um, he isn't really able to create any space on the ball. Um, he's not a great finisher when he gets there. So that's kind of always the issues with these players is like, how are they going to take advantage of their passing? Cause the passing is very good as, as you were saying, like he can really create some awesome passing angles, um, with his like flexibility and with his length and his size and using his arms and his, his vision to get the ball in tight spaces. Um, and like, I think, uh, Arizona was a nice place for him to showcase that cause they run a lot of motion and a lot of like loop floppy kind of actions. Um, and they're, you know, I, I think it benefits him in a similar way that it benefits his teammate, Ben Matherin. Um, and I, he is just someone who can really make plays and can really pass in that secondary role. And then, you know, defensively, um, I'm not super high on his defense. I think there are some really impressive moments um, moving on the ball uh, with his size um, and some nice off-ball moments. But again, just, just very inconsistent at this point for a guy like him. So 
I definitely see him as a guy who's like, you know, maybe like running a bench offense or someone who's like um, making extra passes or running secondary pick and rolls, like a side pick and roll or something alongside, you know, uh, someone who can really be an offensive star if he ends up hitting. What do we, like, you probably don't know the answer to this, um, but how many players coming out of college have had a usage of 14% and been guards with the ball in their hand and been able to succeed? I'm going to imagine without knowing the answer to this, that the list is pretty low. That it, you know, to have it to be in college and to not have a usage that's even remotely close to average and then be able to translate and do anything in the NBA feels like it'd be pretty tough to do. Yeah, usage... I, I've actually like definitely done research on this and talked about this. Um, usage rate is like a really important predictor um, of like NBA, of NBA success because like you said, like, it is hard to kind of project a guy to be like an NBA player when they weren't being when, when they weren't doing more at the college level. Um, like most of the most of the really great players who have succeeded in the NBA with the the very low um, college usage rates um, are guys who were like really really amazing shooters, like um, guys like Joe Harris um, and like Devontae Graham and like Duncan Robinson and Otto Porter um, and like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Um, are like the ones who have made it in the league um, without like that that high usage, and I definitely think it's a worry. Like, um, obviously, you know, there's context, um, and there's guys who, you know, do make it um, in the league without usage. Um, actually, uh, do you want to like? There actually are some good NBA players uh, with that that low usage. Like, I think like the real outlier is like Halliburton, who was like a crazy low usage guy at Iowa State and. Um, he, he was, was also just like a super weirdo. But he was still significantly um, higher than Terry, though, wasn't he? At like 19% or 19.4 yeah. or something? Yeah, like four, he was like 18 or 19. 14 his, his freshman year, he was 10. Yeah, okay. Which was crazy. Yeah. And like, some, I just looked this up. Like, some of the other successes at that low were like, um, like Thibel, who, you know, you can kind of like debate whether or not he's like a real success. Um, uh, offensively, like, he's clearly not. Yeah, but yeah. exactly. Like, <laughs> There's like younger like Davion Mitchell and Corey Kisper like before they were starring for their teams. Yep. Um, there are guys like Dylan Windler, Jason Preston, Rakeem Christmas, Jordan Bell. Um, so just like a lot of guys who like as you said, like I think it, it's it's certainly not not like a be all end all. It's not like these players cannot be good or there's no way they'll be good at this usage, but it is absolutely a red flag. Um, I think it's absolutely a red flag. We're not going to talk about. Dale and Terry's teammate Ben Matherin today, but we are going to talk about his other teammate, Christian Coloco, who is big, obviously. Seven foot, <laughs> center. He's a little bit older, 22 years of age. Um, I've debated on this show, or talk, I haven't debated because I've just told people what I think about it, is that centers <laughs> at this sort of height without really a game-changing uh, talent I'm not really sure what the point of even taking them in the first round is or even inside the top 40 or 45. Can Coloco be better than that? Is he, you know, compared to Mark Williams, compared to Walker Kessler? Like, where does he fit there? Would you bother with a draft pick on him? Is he good enough to do that, especially at that advanced age? Or is the, you know, the defensive stuff, the, the rim protection stuff, 
the finishing um, all good enough to justify being perhaps a, a first round player. Like we've seen some of these guys get picked towards the end of the first round. Shout out, you know, Yudoka as a Buke, just as big blokes who stand in front of the rim. And I'm not saying Coloco is the same guy. And obviously that yeah. hasn't worked out particularly well. But as a Buke, and it always seems to be a bit of a waste of a pick there when there are other wings on the board. So where does Coloco fit in in terms of, hey, is he draftable? Is that value that he provides good enough to not take a swing on an upside wing or guard? Yeah, I think, like, I have Coloco, like, probably on my board, like, or if I were to do a board, like, exactly around, like, 40 or 45. I think that's pretty spot on for, for, for his ceiling and for where he kind of is valued. Um, I definitely agree that these, like, very limited centers um, who, like, are, you know, maybe able to dominate in college with their size are often risky, um, like, like, like someone like Azabuki um, or, like, Vernon Carey or, like, just guys like that. Um, but I think what separates Coloco from guys like Azabuki, um, especially, is like he is a ridiculously good mover. Like he can really move his feet, get out on the perimeter and like drop coverage and like hedges, and really bother uh, and really bother guards and cover ground. And I think when you combine that with his like kind of hilarious size, um, I think there's real potential utility there for like an interesting like backup you know big defender. Because um, there are a lot of you know you know a lot of like bigger mobile guys in the league now and i think coloco is certainly an option uh to kind of check those guys because he is so long and so big and can really really move but like i said offense is super raw like is basically just going to be a guy who dunks uh that's about it um so he's going to need you know guys who can enable that and not every team especially on the bench is going to have players who can you know get him the ball in spots where he needs to so like, I think he's probably worth a second-round pick just because he is huge in moves, but um, I share a lot of the concerns that I think you do as well. So A couple of things with him is he's had a 21% usage where his teammate Dale and Terry had 14, which is weird. That's just something I wanted to mention. Um, another thing with him is he's a good free-throw shooter, 74%. And I have heard whispers that he claims that he's got a three-point shot. Um, <laughs> I don't know... How true that's going to be. We've heard that. You know, Steven Adams apparently has a three-point shot as well. It's been 10 years and I haven't seen <laughs> yeah, that. We've been, waiting, we've been waiting to see that, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Steven Adams in practice. He's hitting every three. And I don't doubt that's true. I think he's taking yeah, about it's two like the two the Andre game. Drummond and like Mitchell Robinson thing. Yep. We're like every summer we see workouts of them like hitting threes and all the fans are like, why can't you just practice layups? And stuff? But like, of course... Yeah, the, the problem with that is, is that we can laugh at that, but then like guys will come out, Brooke Lopez will come out, Al Horford will come out, Marcus Gasol will come out, never shoot a three ever, and then all of a sudden, oh, they're banging in, yeah, attempting five a game and hitting them at 38%. So when someone, a big man claims that, you got to go, oh, okay, well, maybe. Like I've seen these guys who had no, no business being able to shoot threes just all of a sudden flick a switch and do it. So maybe he could do it. And the good free throw percentage makes me think, okay, maybe there is a little bit of touch here. Maybe he can do that. If he could do that, if he could attempt two, three threes a game and hit him at 35%, does that change your thinking on him? Oh, well, I mean, if in that world, I think he's, like, undoubtedly, like, a very good player. Okay. Um, I don't really think that's that's very likely. Um, just because, like, I, I think, like, actually shooting is a lot more important of an indicator, especially for bigs than free throws. Like, Coloco, like, isn't even a guy who really shoots, like, mid-ranges. Um, like, I, I think of, like, an old, like, Zeke Naji, like, an Arizona big who got drafted a couple years ago. Yeah, but he can who, shoot threes now. He's taken threes. Oh, right, but he was an awesome mid-range shooter in yeah, college. Okay. Like, he was a really, really great long two-shooter, um, whereas, like, Coloco doesn't really shoot. 
Yep. Um, yeah. And I think, like, there just aren't a lot of players, or really any, who, like, were total non-shooters from everywhere in in college and ended up being, like, real shooters in the league. And I think, like, that's certainly an optimistic projection. I mean, I would certainly be happy if it happened. I think I think Cloco's really cool. And I think if he ended up being a shooter, that would be super fun. Um, yeah, I mean, anything's possible. But I certainly wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> Well, let's let's contrast him now to um, a guy who is that prototypical size, and that's Jabari Walker, 6'8", 20-year-old forward out of Colorado. So probably both in that, you know, say 30 to 45 type of range. You see Walker maybe go 25, 26 in some mock drafts, but he's got that size, that profile, that wing type um, body that, that teams are after. So... Regardless of what you think of their production or what they did in college, because you know you look at Coloco's numbers and they're probably more impressive than Jabari Walker averaging 14 points and, and nine boards and shooting under 35% from three, which is fine, but it's not it's not great. Um, but Walker to me feels undoubtedly like a more valuable player just because of that size. Do you agree with that? Can he develop into a rotation guy? Or is it just one of those ones where, oh, I guess he's there. He's got the size. Let's take a fly because if it works, it's bloody valuable. Yeah, I do agree that uh, Jabari is more valuable than Coloco. I think they're close. Like, I don't think they're super different in terms of value. But, I mean, that is, like, kind of the prototype. Like, the moving wings who can maybe shoot. Obviously, Jabari had a you know pretty rough year this year. Um, definitely, like was just in a better context, like, playing with better players last year. Um, but I do think Jabari um, is is definitely, like, a decent prospect and has pathways to, to being a player. Obviously, that starts on defense. Like, he is just a really nice mover for a guy at 6'8". Um, there are quite a few of these guys in this class, and it's a yeah. valuable upgrade. Yeah. Um, where I think if you're getting someone like that in, like, the 40s, where, you know, he has a lot of issues with, you know, his strength and, you know, some of his leaping ability... Um, but there are real defensive tools that I think a team can can develop. And then offensively, um, it's basically just like hoping he's going to be a shooter, which I think is certainly possible. Like he shot like a decent amount of threes. He's a pretty solid free throw shooter. Like I, I think like all of like the, the indicators are there for being like for a guy who's like, yeah, he could shoot. He could not shoot. We'll see. Um, I do. I've always been intrigued by some of his like creation stuff. Like. He, like, the way he moves his body is really interesting to me. Like, he's very agile and can get, like, in tight spaces uh, better than a lot of guys, you know, his size and frame can. I think maybe there's some development there, but that's probably a long shot because um, he is just a rough decision maker, um, just very raw as a scorer as well. Like, um, is like your very typical, like, college four who does post-ups and stuff, um, which is, you know, like, one of the biggest red flags for, like, translating scoring into the league. Um, yeah, I think he's pretty solid. Like, definitely someone I'm looking to target in the second round. All right. And I reckon, Ben, that will do it for us today as we've covered off the six prospects. Um, guys, if you're watching here on YouTube, drop comments below. Let us know what you think about these guys and where you may differ in our evaluation of them. Ben, tell people where they can find you on Twitter if they want to discuss NBA draft stuff or anything else that you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, just just follow me on Twitter uh, at bjpf underscore. It's on the screen. Uh, I think it I'll is. probably work that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, if I you know, I do occasional like little YouTube videos now on just quick draft stuff. That you know, if if it's there, it'll be on my Twitter as well. Um, so yeah, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, feel free to hit me up if you have any issues or want to talk about anything. Uh, but yeah.
That's about it. Go check out Ben over on Twitter. Ben, thanks for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball once again. Thanks uh, for having me as always, and hope we get to do this next year as well. Absolutely. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, you know what to do. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.